0: Pull your sermon notes out, your Bible out. If you don't have one, there's one in the pew in front of you. And Mr. Ben Palm is going to share with us.
1: Good morning. morning. How's it going? Let me just come back to um, one of those verses that we were looking at in Colossians. It said this. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And I love that word mystery. Paul uses the word mystery a lot in the book of Colossians. And I like it because he's identifying the fact that God is... There's so much to God and we can barely grab... A little bit of him. But oh to taste. This series is called Decent Exposure. And um, it's not called perfect exposure or exact exposure or total exposure. But just decent exposure. It's just a little bit of what God is. And as we're going through this Gospel of John... We're we're just getting little snapshots, little pictures of who Jesus is. We don't get the whole thing. We don't get every little bit of it. We just get a decent exposure into who God is. And I like that because a lot of it is left up to us. To go out and decide, hey, I want some more. And dive in to more of who God is more than just the Gospel of John or even deeper into John itself and just saying, I want to discover more. If we really wanted to dive deep into the book of John, like Dave said, we would be here for years going through just this book. There are people that have devoted their lives to the study of the book of John. But we're just going through and getting a decent exposure. Let me pray once again. God, I'm just so thankful for giving us your word, for giving us something that we can choose to invest in, we can invest our lives in, just say, it's all yours, God, walk me through this, and God, I ask that you walk us through your word this morning. God, I've prepared words, but I want them to be yours. I want to speak through you this morning, God. I want you to speak through me. I want you to use what I have to say for your purpose, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I know what you're thinking. Half of you are probably thinking, they really make pants that long? And the other half of you are probably thinking, Ben owns pants? <laughs> By the way, I tried to figure out how to work in me eating an In-N-Out burger this morning, but I just, it just didn't fit quite right. But if you find some place, man, you could have eaten one there, just let me know afterwards and I don't know, maybe we'll enjoy one together. How many of you voted on Tuesday? Alright, fantastic. A bunch of you. I voted. And later that day, one of my friends came up to me and said, Ben, do you think Barack Obama is the Antichrist? (laughs) I was a little bit taken aback. Um, And I said, well, why do you ask? And she said that a friend of hers had told her that Barack Obama is the Antichrist and Jesus is coming back in uh, 2012. I don't know, maybe he's running on the Republican ticket or something like that. Um, Beats me, but I was like, wow, good to know. Thanks. All right, I'll put that in my day timer. Um, I always have a real issue with people predicting the end of the world. First of all, no one has been right yet. There's this guy that wrote a book called The 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. Well, I'm still here and you're still here. Yeah. Um, And second, those people are pretty arrogant. They're saying that they have a leg up on Jesus. In Matthew, Jesus says, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. God the Father is the only one that knows. Not even Jesus knows when this world is coming to an end. And if not even He knows, how dare they think that they're better than Him? Believe it or not, we do this. Often. Not with like the end of the world stuff, but with other things. We have our own ideas of how life should be played out. And we march to our own beat, often ignoring God's much better plan for us. We make decisions without asking Him. We make plans without praying. We'll even up and move from our home, take a different job, without any Bible study or prayer. Jesus doesn't want it this way. Not then, not now. It's time for you to be overruled. Your ideas, your plans. So this is what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to dive in to John chapter 7. So if you do have your Bibles and you don't have them open yet, open up to John chapter 7. If you haven't pulled it out yet, pull out this cool little nifty sheet that does say "You overruled" on the top. It's not by accident that it matches up with the PowerPoint. Um, and we're going to look at this passage: Jesus going to the feast of the tabernacles. Let me read it for you, starting in verse one. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee, purposely staying away from Judea because the Jews were waiting to take his life. When the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, "You ought to leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples may see the miracles you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world, for even His own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore Jesus said to him, "The right time for me is not yet come. For you, any time is right. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that what it does is evil. You go to the feast. I'm not yet going up to the feast. Because for me, the right time has not yet come. Having said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the feast, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. The first thing, the first little blank fill-in for you guys is your timing. Your timing overruled. Verse 1, we notice, starts out with, after this. Well, after what? Jesus just fed the 5,000. Then he goes out and walks on water. Then he gave a really hard teaching about bread and water and about he is the bread. He is the water. And then he lost a bunch of disciples. Many disciples took off because his teaching was so difficult and not just hard to understand, but hard to live by. They just couldn't buy into it and they took off. And also, we notice that he dodged Judea. Why? Because the Jews there were waiting to take his life. Now, some of you may think, gosh, Jesus came to die. So what's the big deal? Well, the timing wasn't right. Yes, he had come to die, but it wasn't the right time for him to die yet. Now, as we march through, I love Jesus' brothers and what they're doing here. So all these disciples take off. Desert Jesus. The 12 disciples are still hanging around, the 12 apostles. But a lot of his other disciples, disciple basically meaning a follower, a lot of his other followers said, no, we're out of here. And here's what Jesus' brothers say. You ought to leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples may see the miracles you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. They're basically trying to be his publicists. They're basically trying to be like, Jesus, you just lost a bunch of people. Okay, now here's the five ways we can get them back. Okay, we got to go over here and you got to perform at least three miracles and you got to make sure that you say this and this and this. I'll write a couple of the speeches for you. i got it taken care of. All right, just smile. You know, don't do anything stupid between now and then. Um, you know, kind of like McCain and Obama advisors right before the election. You know, they're trying to, okay, we've got to recover as many votes as we can. You know, and the different politicians stayed in different areas. And, you know, i got to get more people. i got to get more. But Jesus knew that the timing wasn't right. And this wasn't the only time when he brought up the issue. As I went through, I've got three different points today. And with each one of these, I went through the book of John. And just saw other areas that this came up. And as far as timing, Jesus' timing, this came up a lot of other times. So start flipping. Uh, Flip back to John chapter 2. John chapter 2, verse 4. We'll come back to 7, I promise. Um. Jesus, changes water. Jesus is at a wedding, and they run out of wine. And his mom comes up to him and says, Hey, they have no more wine. And Jesus says, Dear woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. Okay, There's one instance of Jesus talking about timing. Flip over to chapter 4, 23. He's talking to a Samaritan woman at a well. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. I'm in verse 22. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. It hasn't been this way before, but the time is coming. Jesus again is addressing this issue of timing. In 435, he says this, Do you not say four more months and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. Timing is now. Now is the time to start going out, to start sharing. Flip over past our chapter to chapter 12. So Jesus has been saying the time is not yet right. He says it again in 7, the time is not yet right. In chapter 12, verse 23, he says... The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. 12.27, he says, Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Jesus knew, hey, now the time has come. He's talking a lot about timing. There was a right time for him to go and die. There was a wrong time for him. Jesus had a very specific time in mind, and it all worked out not only because he was focused on it, but also because it aligned with God's will. To help illustrate this idea, I want to talk to you about how I met Laura. I met Laura like six or seven years ago, eight years ago, something like that, Um, eight years ago, eight years ago, she knows I met her at Foothill College, and instantly I thought, and I, this is the first thing I thought when I saw her. I said, this is the most beautiful woman I have ever seen.
2: Um,
1: (laughs) That's a good first thought. Um, But five years later was when I first asked her out. Five years. And as I look back at it and go, okay, now I'm married to this woman, did I waste those five years Could I have been dating her? Could I have been, like, married earlier? Like, and just started thinking about all this different stuff, like, man, I missed out. I should have said something. I even found out that all during, all during those five years, I didn't ask her out because I was afraid that I would get shot down. It turns out, all during those five years, she liked me. I was like, ah, I missed the boat! But now, as I'm looking back at it, I go, no, I didn't miss anything. I'm married to her. And I look back at those five years and go, I grew up a lot. I'm not the same guy I was when I first met her. And I'm glad I had that time. But of course, back then, I didn't know that. And it's just a great illustration of how Here I had my idea of what timing would have been right or would have been perfect. But God had a beautiful plan in mind. Here the disciples and Jesus' brothers are like, Hey, time is now. Let's go grab some more disciples. We lost some. But Jesus had another idea. And I want you to catch that his timing is so much better than ours. We have our own ideas. We have our own agendas. We have our own time. But our timing needs to be overruled by Jesus' timing. By catching that God's got a plan, and it's so much better than ours. Because he can see what's coming next, and he's trying to prepare us for what's coming up. Our timing, overruled. We read verses 8 through 10, and some of you might have looked at that and went, something's a little off here. Let's look at that again. John chapter 7, verses 8 through 10. Jesus is talking, you go to the feast. He's talking to his brothers. I am not yet going up to this feast because for me, the right time has not yet come. Having said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the feast, he also went, not publicly, but in secret wait a minute, I thought he said he wasn't going, but he went. This is something that, if some of the people who were opposed to the Bible really knew their Bible, could point out and say, hey, this is wrong. You know, Jesus lied here. He's a sinner. But I think the truth of this can be read if you read it carefully. The truth of this can be found and why this discrepancy actually works out. You go to the feast, I am not yet going up to this feast. Because the time, because for me the right time has not yet come. Jesus not only had a timing issue with these guys, but he also had a specific agenda in mind. And that's the second one. Your agenda overruled. Jesus had an idea of what he was going to do. And if he went at that specific time with his brothers, they would have paraded him around and said, hey, sign up with this guy. Get your email on the list. We'll contact you. But that's not what he was trying to do. Jesus wasn't going there to drum up a bunch more people, have a bunch more followers. That wasn't his goal. That wasn't his agenda. And so he let his brothers go. And waited so that he could come, not only at the right time, but also with his own agenda. Your agenda overruled. So this whole thing in chapter 7 is going on during the Feast of the Tabernacles. And I got to sit down with Carol a little bit and talk to her about what the Feast of the Tabernacles is. And um, the Feast of the Tabernacles is a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. It's one of three feasts that involve a pilgrimage. So basically getting up and going somewhere. So Jews from all over would get up and go to Jerusalem and basically build these little um, huts, booths, however you want to call them. They they built these little tents, basically, and camped out around Jerusalem for a week. And there's all these different symbolic reminders um, that were aspects of the feast But the thing to catch is that all these Jews were all in one location. And thinking through the mind of the brothers, they're like, All right, tons of people in one place, let's go do some campaigning. Let's drum up. Imagine a similar event here in the US, you know, a bunch of people gathering. Can you imagine like all of California going down and gathering in LA for one big event? How foolish would it be for McCain or Obama to pass up that and say, no thanks, I don't want to go to that. I want to go to some podunk town out in the middle of nowhere instead. No, of course, they'd want to go and get all these followers. And I know that some of you are thinking, no, if they didn't go, there's probably a reason. And trying to come up with your own reasons as to why they wouldn't necessarily show up there and stuff like that. So you can see that they might have had a different agenda. And Jesus had a different agenda. He wasn't going to drum up all these followers. Even though these other guys were like, Hey, this is is what you're about, Jesus. I mean, you're doing all these miracles. All these people are following you. Let's go get some more. The right agenda is not always the obvious one. Jesus' followers always thought they understood Jesus' agenda. And you can flip along with me if you want. I'm going to fly back through the book of John. You can just listen if you want either way. But I'm going to go back to John chapter 4, 31 and 32, where Jesus uh, has just finished talking with the Samaritan woman at the well. His disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. The disciples had an agenda. They were thinking, oh, Jesus is hungry. Can you imagine them coming up to him and saying the same kind of thing when he was out in the desert fasting? Jesus, put some meat on those bones. We got a problem here. Jesus had a different agenda, Jesus had a different plan in mind. In chapter 5, verses 41 to 44, he says, I do not accept praise from men, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe if you accept praise from one another, yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God? They might be thinking, Jesus came because he wasn't getting enough praise in heaven. Let's, let's get people around him and, and praise him and worship him. But that's, that's again, not Jesus' agenda. He wasn't here to drum up a lot of praise. Man, you know, the angels just aren't cutting it. So I'm going to come down here and and get a little bit more praise. Please. No, that wasn't it at all. In 6.27, it says this, Do not work for the food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Dave and Kurt just talked about this for the last couple of weeks, talking about how Jesus is real food. And a lot of these people, after seeing the feeding of the 5,000, were like, hey, Jesus came to be my personal safeway. He's here to give me a bunch of food. And Jesus is like, no, 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 that's not it. You're not understanding this. Jesus has a different agenda. In chapter 8, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from, and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. Again, Jesus has a different agenda than what these disciples are thinking. In chapter 9, uh, the disciples bring this blind man to Jesus. And Jesus says, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Jesus is pointing out the intended agenda for this man's life. This guy has been blind for his whole life. Why? So that finally, you can see the work of God through his life. In chapter 11, Lazarus. Same song, second verse. Lazarus dies. But this is what Jesus said. This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Again, I mean, think about Mary and Martha. Their brother dies, and they just can't understand why. But Jesus has a different agenda. He's got a different plan. Even Peter, taking a sword and chopping it off, chopping off the ear of the guard as Jesus is being arrested. He's, he's trying to stop Jesus from what Jesus came to do. He had a different agenda in mind. He was like, no, Jesus didn't come here to be arrested. Jesus didn't come here to be killed. When in fact, wake up Peter. Jesus has said it over and over again. This is what I'm here for. Jesus had a different agenda. <clears throat> this missionary... A friend of mine. Uh, he was working over in China. <coughs> and his son, uh, just a newborn baby, less than a year old, had a medical condition and needed a surgery. And uh, the doctors over in China didn't have uh, this one tool that they needed to be able to perform this surgery. And so he said, well, what are my options here? They said, well, either... Go back to the States um, with your son or go back yourself, get the tool and bring it back and we'll do the surgery for you. And uh, his son was not in condition to be able to fly. And so he went back to the States and got the tool that he needed and came back to China to be able to do this surgery on his son. As he's going through customs, uh, the Chinese customs agent asks him, What is this here? And points to the tool. And he says, "Oh well, this is a tool, um, so uh, to do surgery for my son. Um, He needs this operation." And the customs agent asked him, "Well, if he doesn't get the operation, will your son die?" And the man said, "Yes." And the customs agent takes this tool, throws it on the ground, and smashes it with his foot. He said, "Good, one less American." And it took everything in my friend's will to stop from just reaching over and slugging the guy. And he went back to his wife and said, our son will not live. Our son is going to die. And she took their son in her hands and just said, God, he's yours. Neither of them could understand why their son had to die. And in that moment, both of them were completely frustrated. God, what's going on here? We thought you brought this son to us to be able to have him grow up and learn from us and live a full life. But God had a different agenda. As my friend finished telling this story, he said, In the years since our son has died, we have seen hundreds and hundreds of people come to Christ after hearing this story. And now we can see that God had a different agenda for our son's life than our own. Here Jesus is showing up, and his brothers... Have this idea of what they want Jesus to be. And Jesus says, No, I've got a different agenda. Sometimes it's so hard for us to submit to that agenda of God's. I want you to listen to this song. Dave, come on up. Dave's gonna play this song called Surely God is with us. And it points so well to this different agenda that Jesus had than what a lot of people thought.
3: prophet, well, I wonder if he's got something up his sleeve, where's he from, and who is his daddy, those rumors he even thinks himself a king. A kingdom of paupers Of simple tens and rogues. The whores all seem to love Him And the drunks propose a toast And they say, surely God is with us us." Surely God is with us And they say, surely God is with us Today That man he says he's a preacher. Well, it must be, he's disturbing all our peace. Where does he get off? What is he hiding? And every word he says, those fools believe. Who could move a mountain, who would love their enemy, who could rejoice in pain and and turn the other cheek and still say, surely God is with us, surely God is with us, they say, surely God is with us today. Surely God is with us Surely God is with us Amazing Surely God is with us Blessed are the poor in spirit Heaven belongs to them Blessed are those who make peace They are God's children I am the bread of life I am the way Hear that man Believe what he says Who's that man? made him a prisoner, they tortured him and nailed him to a tree, was he so bad, well who did he threaten, did he deserve to die between two thieves? See the scars and touch his wounds, his risen flesh and bone. Now the, the sinners have become the saints, and the lost have all come home. And they say, Surely God is with us. Surely God is with us. And they say, Surely God is with us today. And surely God is with us, surely God is with us, they say. Surely God is with us today, with us today.
1: Thanks, Steve. I love some of those lines in there. Just pointing to, what's the deal with this guy? I like that line. Where does he get off? What's going on with him? People had so many different ideas about who Jesus was, about why he was there, what his agenda was. But he had a specific agenda in mind. God has a specific agenda for your life. For my life. And each one of us probably has some idea of our own agenda for our life, our own way of going, our own way to walk. Listen to God's. He can see it better than you, He knows better than you. Here's our third thing your justice. Overruled. At the end of this passage, Jesus is kind of pointing to one thing that's going on with these guys. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet not one of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? You are demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who is trying to kill you? Jesus said to them, I did one miracle, and you are all astonished. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision that actually did not come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, you circumcise a child on the Sabbath. And if a child can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing the whole man on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. So in Jewish law, children had to be circumcised on the eighth day. Well, some of them were born so that it worked out that they had to be circumcised on the Sabbath. And the rabbis would do that. And yet, at the same time, they're getting mad at Jesus for healing somebody on the Sabbath. And Jesus is like, this isn't lining up. This isn't working for me. Once more, let's take a journey through the book of John, looking at Jesus' justice versus man's justice. In chapter 5, verse 30, it says, By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but Him who sent me. Jesus' justice is not self-seeking. Yet we seek justice in one right place, and that's our right. I want justice as long as it is right for me. And then in our passage that we're looking at, Jesus' justice understands the law. Yet we bend the law to suit our needs. We want it to, to read so that, okay, well, this works for me, but this part doesn't work. The Jews were even doing that, saying, all right, let's, let's nail this guy. Let's get him on something. Well, let's take this law and kind of make it look like so that This is what it's saying and and try to nail him for that. They were taking the law to suit their own needs. Chapter 8, verses 15 to 16, it says this, You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are right because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. Jesus' justice is by God's standards, not man's. Yet we want justice wherever it benefits us. And then in 1248, Jesus says this. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him at the last day. Jesus' justice is complete. Yet our revenge usually ends up sour. Once again, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, how can I know the difference between God's timing and mine? Between His agenda and mine? Between His justice and mine? The answer is very simple. You can't. You cannot always know. But you can try. Pursue Him. Spend time with him. Listen to him. He's trying to communicate with you. More than anything, you need to give up. Period. Give up. Give up everything that you're holding dear. Maybe you're holding on to some issue. Some timing issue. Or some agenda. Or some justice that you know is not God's. Maybe you're wanting your own timing to work out in a certain way in your life. And you're saying, God, I'm not going to wait for you. I'm done waiting. It's time now. Maybe you've got your own agenda. And you're pursuing one certain thing and saying, this is... Where my life needs to go. Maybe you're pursuing a career. Maybe you're still in a career that you thought was just the right spot. But God has a different thing in mind for you. Maybe there's some certain issue that you just cannot let go. And you're saying, no, I'm going to handle it this way. I don't want to listen to you, God. I have my own agenda. Maybe there's some type of justice that you're trying to hang on to. And you're saying, I want this to be right for me. Give up. Surrender. Give over to God the things that you are trying to hang on to so much. It's time to let it go. Because Jesus' timing is so much better. Jesus' agenda is so much better. Jesus' justice is so much better. And so yours needs to be overruled. I want to invite the band back up. And they're going to sing this song called My Offering. And this song fits. So well with this idea, and I want you to to pay attention to the words. Not only does it fit right at the end of this message, but we're going to be taking the offering during this song. And it says, "I lay it all down, my dreams and my crowns, Lord, I surrender. I lay it all down, my fear and my doubts." Lord, I surrender. Lord, I surrender. Today I want to challenge you to just think about what do I need to give up? What have I been hanging on to? Is it some timing issue? Is it some agenda of mine? Is it some issue of justice? Do I need revenge? Is there something that you haven't let go that you need to give up and say, God, it's yours. It's not mine. Maybe this is a good time for you, even with the offering, and just saying, Man, I've been hanging on to money so tightly, and I need to just let it go and say, God, this is yours. He knows what you need. He'll take care of you. Let me pray for the offering and just pray for each and every one of us. God, we're human. There are things that we try to hang on to so tightly because we think we've got it down. We think we know what's going on but you've got something so much better planned for us. You've got something so good for us, God. I ask that Jesus help us see that and help us to submit to it, God. God, take this offering that's being offered today and use it for whatever you will. Just as you took two fish and five loaves of bread and, and made it go so much farther. Do the same with this offering, God. But more than anything, God, just help us to submit to you. Help us to give up those things that we're trying to control, because you've got such a better plan for us. We ask all it in your name. Amen.
2: I lay it all down, my dreams and my crown. Lord, I surrender. I lay it all down, my fear and my doubt. Lord, I surrender. Lord, I surrender.
0: Thank you for meeting us here today. I thank you for your mercy and your grace, Lord, that just keeps calling us time and again. I read a verse this week, God, that just says, a righteous man will get up seven times, but a fool will remain in his folly. And God, I pray that you would just help us to have the courage and accept the grace to, uh, to take the steps forward needed today. Thanks for the encouragement of your word. Uh, Lord, for the rebuke of it. And the instruction of it, we just pray, God, that You would take all that's gone on here this morning, use it for Your glory in our lives. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. You are dismissed. Thrilled to have you uh, worshiping with us here. Be sure and uh, just say hello to people around you and greet them. And um, yeah, we'll see you next week.